Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, a podcast about soundtracks, music, and movies. Each episode features a guest and focuses on a specific soundtrack and the personal stories connected to it. Now here's your host, Ryan Pack. Uh, Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, the podcast where we talk to people about soundtracks that have impacted their lives. Today we are going to talk about the 1996 Danny Boyle film Trainspotting and its soundtrack, which spawned two volumes. We have returning guests today. We have both Nicole Barlow and Brandis Wilson, who you probably heard in episodes from the last month or so. So welcome back, Brandis and Nicole. Thank you. Glad to be back. So glad to be back. So excited to talk to Brandis on this episode. Same, same. Um, I'm coming in prepared that I'm going to be heckled. So uh, strap in because it's going to be a very rough ride. (laughs) It's kind of a heckling fest between Brandis and I. So I think we should apologize to Ryan in advance. Yes, but also I want to get on the schedule for another one so that I have an opportunity to turn the tables on Nicole and heckle her in the future. I just want to say this is the first time that Brandis has seen Trainspotting. So Brandis watched Trainspotting this morning prior to this recording. So everybody keep that in mind. She's a Trainspotting noob. I've seen this movie like 30 times. Basically, Nicole watches it every weekend as sort of her like Sunday wind down versus I literally just finished it 30 minutes ago. Yeah, Nicole puts Miles to bed and then she watches Train Spotting. I do. You know, I'll just whip up a hot cocoa, you know, and I will just, it's the comfort blanket. I'll just put on Train Spotting. It's that soothing to me. Didn't you say uh, you had a dog? What was this dog's name? Yeah, so the first dog that I ever adopted as an adult was this little scruffy terrier uh, that I got from the Riverside Shelter and that came from Evidence Impound. Like, his owners got locked up on drug offenses, <laughs> which is ironic. <laughs> and I named him Renton. I named him after Ewan McGregor's character in this movie because I thought, like, you are, I'm going to make you choose life, little dog. <laughs> and was this before or after you realized you were obsessed? I mean, this is probably like during the height of my obsession with this film um, and this film's soundtrack. So, but yeah, just just to tell you like where my relationship is with this movie, I named my dog after the main character. Brandon's relationship with this movie is I just saw this movie this morning. You have an addiction to a movie about addictions. Let's just leave it at that. The irony is not lost. (laughs) So, So Brandis is a little bit younger than Nicole and I. Um, So when Nicole and I were in college, I feel like this is one of those movies that you could find in every dorm in America, along with like Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels and Requiem for a Dream and like Boondock Saints and Fight Club. I think those were like the big five, like some guy had all five of those movies in every dorm in America. Uh, So Brandis is a little bit younger, so I think that's part of why she hasn't seen it. I guess. Yes and no. I mean, like you guys, when I was in college, Requiem for a Dream, Dazed and Confused, Fight Club, um, all of these movies were also like in every single dorm. And I have also seen all of those movies like in college. I've even seen SLC Punk like in college. 
somehow this one just sort of like missed the boat. But I feel like maybe part of the problem was and part of the problem like right now is my tolerance for like burnout nihilistic movies sort of peaked in college. So after watching like a few, then I was like, I'm good. I'm cool. I'm like done with this genre. Well, thankfully, my development is completely arrested and I still love this movie because <laughs> I'm 19 uh, and I just want to be like eating some hot Cheetos and watching this film high on a couch. Okay, I really don't know how you can eat anything while watching this movie. Nicole, would you like to pick up this part of the discussion with the live text that I sent you while watching it for the first time? All right, let me let me give everyone a dramatic reading of the live text that I received this morning while Brandis was trying to watch this film. Oh God, I was not prepared for this movie. Why are you making me watch this? OMG, no. I, no, no, no. <laughs> That was for the worst toilet in Scotland scene. <laughs> Which Brandis had never seen before or even heard about. This is no. amazing to me. It's not, it's not that the movie skipped you. I get that you never had like a boyfriend subject you to train spotting. You never had like a weird friend like me that was like, hey, you should really watch this movie. Um, it contains nothing but heroin and grossness. Please laugh at this with me. I get that. But what I don't get is that, like, you've never had any awareness. You had zero foreknowledge of the toilet scene, the baby scene, none of it. See, I wasn't really bothered by the baby scene. It was literally just the toilet scene and the dirty sheet scene. Blood, guts, anything weird, gross, disturbing, nothing else bothers me except for human excrement that's not blood. So basically shit and vomit. I'm like, nope, I'm out. Shit and vomit. So... You told me via text, you're like, I am fast forwarding through the toilet scene. Did you literally skip like as soon as he slides down the bowl? Did you actually before that? So like, yeah, so like I skipped through him, like having the squirts in the toilet because I saw this as soon as he like entered into the toilet, like the actual physical toilet, like room. I was like, oh, my God, this is so disgusting. Skip, skip, skip. He's on the toilet. I'm like, still skip, skip, skip. And then I see him like reaching into the toilet and I was like, oh my God, no. <laughs> you know, you've hit rock bottom when you're reaching into your own diarrhea to get your like methadone suppositories or heroin suppositories or like whatever they were. So I didn't even, I, and then I saw he was like in the water. I got like the whole metaphor thing or whatever, but I was like, nope, still don't even need to see the diving into clear water either. My favorite part about that scene, though, is that it's all it's all soundtracks to that like lovely like Brian Eno like Bright Blue Day song, and he just slides down the toilet like this beautiful live like river otter, and then he ends up like in this clear water with that plane and like pulling out the puffed up suppositories. Like it's completely fucked up, but it's also like really surreal and weird and awesome. And I think at that point I was like, I've never seen anything like this. This is disgusting. And odd, and I fucking love it. it was so cool. I appreciate the surreal oddness of it. Huge Delhi fan, so like, kudos to that. But I can't get past the fact that it was in a toilet. Just can't. There is a lot of shit in this movie, and I think if I had known that your trigger was diarrhea, <laughs> that I wouldn't have told you to do this podcast with me. <laughs> Yeah, if that first scene wasn't bad enough, then we had to follow it up with the dirty sheets scene. And I think that's when I texted you the rest of it. <laughs> did you get to see the dirty sheets get flung across the breakfast table or did you not make it? Um, I was like watching and then like as soon as they like I saw that they were going to be flung, I shut my eyes. 
because I knew that trying to hit the skip button would not be a fast enough reaction. <laughs> like I'm not going to beat this diarrhea to the breakfast table. So no, no. So uh, the thought of you eating Cheetos while watching this movie, is totally mind boggling to me. Oh yeah. I'm completely desensitized to every scene in this film. <laughs> what about Ewan McGregor being that skinny? Apart from those scenes, I was also like, Ewan McGregor, please put a shirt on. You're way too disturbingly skinny. I mean, again, here's where we're at opposite ends of the spectrum because um, as uh, a person in my 20s, I thought that was just like the height of hotness. I'm like, yes, if you look like you're dying from like an old time disease, I want a piece of that. <laughs> I was so grossed out. <laughs> I just thought that that like he was like the hottest thing in that movie, like despite the you know disgusting, horrible, life threatening heroin addiction. Um, yeah, that club scene like really does it for me. <laughs> the club scene was the worst. With like those cap sleeves and his little skinny arms, I was like, no, make it stop. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love. He could have lost twenty more pounds. It's a machinist. <laughs> no, no, no. So the movie did launch Ewan McGregor's career. It also launched Danny Boyle's career, who directed the film. Yeah. Danny Boyle has had a very like strange career, in my opinion. Yeah, I was looking at his filmography, and it's kind of all over the place, which I love. He clearly has a ton of range. Yeah, he is also the artistic director of the opening ceremonies of the 2012 London Olympics. I love about this podcast that Ryan will pull out some obscure fact about the people involved in the movie um, and then it'll send you like in a spiral for the rest of the day like questioning everything you've ever seen or known did either of you guys watch the opening ceremonies from the London games no maybe so I I think I was out with a couple friends and we were eating dinner and it was on and I, I knew Danny Boyle was the artistic director behind it so i was kind of curious and it's like a story about the industrial revolution and kenneth Branagh shows up but then um so it was like a really weird story which you know i don't know how to like set up a opening ceremonies for the olympics i'm not gonna place any blame there but uh after uh, at one point during the ceremony after this story is told um, I think they were trying to, they did like a montage of like things that like entertainment wise, they were basically trying to show like what the UK has exported into the world. And so they did a section on cinema and Danny Boyle put train spotting in <laughs> as one of the great exports. And I was like, are you allowed to do that? If you're the artistic director to put your own stuff in there. That's incredible. I almost respect it because it's such a bullshit move. Like it's just such a fucking fuck you. <laughs> what part of train spotting out of curiosity, like how do you work that into something like an opening ceremony? Was it the toilet scene? <laughs> if only. Was it a projected onto Big Ben? <laughs> you know, while countries are walking in, like they have like different like bands and stuff playing in this big stadium. And the only one I specifically remember was, oh my God, they got Dizzy Rascal to perform at the Olympic Games. <laughs> I was like, I mean, I like 2003 me was very excited. I was like, oh, it's Dizzy Rascal. Like, look, he's getting all this exposure. But it was also, he was performing like his worst song. <laughs> 
But it was fun to hear like NBC commentators be like, Dizzy Rascal, grime rapper from the UK. <laughs> right. And then like explaining like his heritage. I was like, wow, this is like super surreal. And only Danny Boyle could have put that together. <laughs> it sounds like he put it together last minute. Like it was a bad group project gone wrong. <laughs> I think he spent too much time on telling the story of the Industrial Revolution in England. Were there moths involved? Like, please tell me that they were like white moths that died. That no, but there were like, the I don't know, those factory things. <laughs> Those, 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 those big factories are what made the Olympic rings at one point. What, like smokestacks? Uh huh. That's, 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 here's some smokestacks blowing like dirty, gross pollution that everybody's gonna think is fog. So I kind of halfway remember. Maybe you can verify this that somewhere in this presentation they also trotted out like Kate Moss and Naomi Campbell. not real like that they just kind of released them like look we also have models like dubs they released release kate moss it was probably between the smokestacks and dizzy rascal (laughs) and then showing that train spotting was the greatest movie ever well now i know that seth mcfarlane at some point has to have parodied this and had made like kate moss as a giant like macy's day parade blimp (laughs) <laughs> released her up into the sky let release kate moss that's like totally a seth mcfarland thing this whole thing is more uh train wreck than train spotting right am i right yes so i know how much you you loathed this movie and all of its like shit associated scenes but when you watch okay the opening scene the opening scene with the choose life monologue and they're all like running down the street did that not hook you? Like that doesn't do anything for you because that that scene, like I was all in. Yeah, I had that monologue and poster form in my room in college. There you go. <laughs> no, it totally did. It totally hooked me, and I felt like suckered in with that because for me, that opening monologue was like very similar to Fight Club, and I actually really, 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 really loved Fight Club, and it was just like very similar to the whole like IKEA catalog ironically, while he's sitting on the toilet, um, monologue from there. And so I thought that it was going to be a little bit more down that alley. Um, and it definitely was not. So I feel like that was a bit of a bait and switch. <laughs> the movie just needed more punching, less feces. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> a lot of parallels. I, again, like, I think the reason why it did it for so many people is the soundtrack. I think the soundtrack is part of what makes it iconic for a lot of the people that love it. Like that whole running scene is set to less for life. And with all apologies to carnival cruise lines, like I cannot think of a better North star for this movie than less for life. Like (laughs) that song is just like pure adrenaline. Like that's a launch point for a movie is like an amazing monologue. It's a really well-written monologue that song like all in you get to meet like all the characters great love it yeah um, yeah and they brought up i i didn't watch the second movie but i i hear that they brought it back but with but remixed by the prodigy so clearly danny boyle wanted to use that song to kind of link the two movies that makes sense. I have seen the second movie, but if you ask me to tell you about it, I don't think that I really could, except that they're old. They're old in the second movie, what I remember. It was my I, 
I think that's very telling. You can give like a play-by-play description of the first movie and you can't pick out one scene from the second, I think is a very strong uh, (laughs) critique of the second movie. Yeah, I guess that's the only critique that you need is like, it wasn't memorable. (laughs) Pretty much. Sorry, Daniel it wasn't that memorable. No, I guess for me, like in the first one, um, like I said, really loved Fight Club. I even really loved Requiem for a Dream, even though like I know it's harder to watch to me. I feel like I just was able to dig into those more. And I know that um, a lot of people feel differently about this one being a little bit more, I guess, quote unquote, relatable for them and like a little bit more flippant. But I guess it was less relatable for me um, just because it was a bit more flippant. But on the other Um, opposite of that I did really love the soundtrack too I did really appreciate the music it was very well set in the moment and it set the feeling um and sort of the tone for the film and I just like really loved all the songs that it pulled I don't think because I was listening for it for the soundtrack too specifically obviously to do this podcast and I don't think there was a single song where I felt like oh this is like a mess I think it was very well put together also, I just want to clarify that I do not identify with trains. <laughs> I am neither Scottish nor a recovering or current heroin addict. I feel like people should know that about me now that I've added myself as like a super fan that named my dog after the lead character in this film. I'm okay. Everything's fine. There are no needles in my arm at the time of this recording. Like, we're good. But I can see how other people have that like teenage angst sort of like, you know, like screw the system sort of thing that like helps them dig in I know that that was a really big thing in Fight Club too and I actually didn't dig into that part of that movie um I think I just really loved sort of the drama and the twist in it but yeah that's just the burnout movies just never really hooked me it sounds like at least the parts of the the film though that like were that are kind of like weird and messed up like the OD scene like when he ODs and the carpet like folds around him and he drops through the floor like a casket and then there's that like weird camera angle that's like just kind of like a gopro strapped to his face and it's all scored to like perfect day by lou reed oh yeah like the surreal um moments i loved that i loved that it was odd the cinematography and the coloring like all of that was great like i said the um soundtrack obviously great i loved that when he od'd that they did that camera movement where he's like literally six feet under so you know like immediately like what's happening um i thought like from an like artistic standpoint i thought the movie was extremely well done it's literally just not my genre yeah so i think at the time it was really breakthrough also because nobody had really tried anything like that like the mix of tones and the weird cinematography choices, the soundtrack choices, which for 1996 were like the height of being cool, right? It's like Britpop, Electronica, Heroin. Like the movie could not be more 90s. (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely, definitely did an amazing job at capturing a moment in time and also geography. It felt very like scottish in the 90s um what was a little bit weird to me is i never really saw like i watch a lot of like british tv and film and i have never really gotten that sort of a snapshot of london for the period of the movie where they're in london it felt very like a weird take on london to me which was interesting uh so i appreciated that i definitely loved sort of like the time capsuleness of it i think like i said artistically loved it genre wise hate Still reeling from those few scenes. <laughs> yeah, the, 
the timing of this movie, I think, is perfect. So it's, you know, a 1996 film. Um, you know, Kurt Cobain has been... Kurt Cobain died two years previously, so I music in general is kind of changing. So a lot of Britpop didn't make it over to the States successfully outside of like Oasis at this point in time. And I think a big reason for that is because most Americans like myself were recovering from grunge. We didn't know what to do. We were looking for more, you know, crunchy guitars and, you know, Blur's Park Life was like the opposite of that, even though it's an album I love now. And I think right around 1996 is when I could finally start kind of moving in that direction. So when the soundtrack came out and it had songs like Lust for Life, you know, Iggy Pop, and it had, you know, Lou Reed, it kind of helped me transition my musical tastes a little bit. Um, Also, I think the Universal from The Great Escape by Blur was also like one of the first Blur songs that I really got into. But, you know, it... Like, 1996 was, like, a lot of transitions, and I think this movie coming out at that time, it kind of was like a lightning in a bottle sort of moment. Yes, I felt that way, too. Like, I felt like it really um, matured my musical sensibilities, and it opened, like, new pathways to things that I was curious about and didn't kind of like drugs. It was a gateway drug. (laughs) And now I'm straight on that musical heroine. (laughs) <laughs> it was. But but really, like it was kind of like a bridge, right? And like Brandis said, it's such this like slice of life and moment in time and all that Brit pop stuff that maybe wasn't cool stateside, like suddenly became really interesting and cool and we might have caught on to it a little later than people in the UK. But yeah, like the inclusion of like Damon Albarn and Pulp. So great. Um can I hit you, Ryan, with my favorite fun facts from this film? It's about Britpop. Absolutely. All right, I'm going to hit you with this. You probably already know because you always have, like, the best research. But apparently Oasis was supposed to be on this soundtrack. But Noel Gallagher turned it down. He turned it down because he thought it was a movie about trains. (laughs) God, no. (laughs) This is a true story. Like, Noel literally thought it was about, like, train aficionados, like, people that made, like, model trains or something. And and he turned them down. And then he saw the movie later and he was like, oh, I didn't know. That was actually pretty great. Sorry. Well, that's embarrassing. (laughs) That's quite, that's quite the twist. I thought it was going to be like, he didn't want to be on the soundtrack because, you know, Damon was writing a... Because Damon was writing a original song for him, Blur was going to be on it. I thought, it, you know, it was kind of one of those rivalry things, but it just ended up being like, oh, he thought it was a good, he thought it was just a movie about train, so he didn't want to do it. That's so good. Ironically, unlike you guys with like identifying with this moment in time, obviously since it's slightly before my time, I can't identify in that note. But because I didn't have this whole like post grunge thing and grunge was like never my scene, no offense to Kurt Cobain and Nirvana. I think they're totally great, but also just not my cup of tea. I was much more of like wearing the black leather nine inch nail side of things just many years after that was actually a moment in time. So for me, like Britpop is like much more of like a natural transition from like industrial anyway. So it's not that weird of like a transition from like grunge to Britpop. It's more for me is like, well, yeah, that's like the natural progression of things. So hearing you guys talking about how like, oh, like in a post grunge thing, it wasn't really cool. So you had to like kind of like ease into it, like is totally bonkers and like weird and like foreign to me. 
to me, it's like, well, yeah, like Nine Inch Nails, Britpop, like Oasis, like it's all the same thing. <laughs> I like how Brandis is just way more continental than us. She's just like wearing her leather jacket. Well, I mean, again, like many years after the fact. So I have like 2020 hindsight, but I'm just saying like, it's weird to me hearing that Britpop was not cool because by the time that I was old enough to really discover Britpop, it had already been cool. So like, yeah. I missed the boat on this whole like having to ramp up to Britpop thing. Yeah, I think in the 90s, it was complicated, right? Because I remember having some pretty pedestrian musical tastes that I can blame directly on like just what was mainstream popular. Because I think for Ryan and I, like grunge happened, Kurt died, we were pretty young still, like maybe like preteens, junior high, right? And then all of that like post grunge kind of stuff started coming out. So like I was listening to Bush, I was listening to Loud, like these are not cool bands, right? Like that's the springboard to stuff that was like more interesting. Um, like those were my high school jams, but then this movie came out and it was like, oh, maybe this stuff is actually my jam. Like this is actually very cool. Yeah, we went from Nirvana writing I hate myself and I want to die to Blur singing about like these fictional characters that Damon Albarn created. You know? <laughs> like Girls and Boys is like the the big single from Park Life, and it's almost like a disco song. Yeah, it's a single thing. It's a singles problem, too, because I think what got exported immediately was stuff that kind of would turn you off. You weren't really into, like, pop music. You weren't into things that were, you know, a little bit more lighthearted. Like, Blur literally had the Pet Shop Boys remix Girls and Boys. You know, like, it's that far removed from grunge. (laughs) It is a few shades away. I think that's why Oasis was able to make the transition because those first two albums have like these walls of like crunchy guitars and also Wonderwall. Also Wonderwall. <laughs> <laughs> also Champagne Supernova. <laughs> you know. But you know, it's, it's closer to like American grunge rock than, you know, anything off of Park Life. Yeah, it's like so guitar forward. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, one line and it's actually like really ironic that you guys are talking about how like grunge was dead and you guys this movie helped you accept um, sort of Britpop into your lives because one of my favorite parts was when in the film was when um, Kelly McDonald called uh, Iggy Pop Ziggy Pop and thought he was dead <laughs> and saying like you need to find like new music you need to like find new things <laughs> you <laughs> so like in the moment that you guys were discovering Britpop, this movie is saying that Britpop is dead. Well, I I don't know. Like, I think I'm going back to that scene, too, where they're, like, uh, snipering in the park and Johnny Lee Miller has his whole uh, theory of life and everything speech where he's talking about how, like, you have it and then you lose it. And he's like using Iggy Pop as everybody like as this example, right? Like at one point you've got it and then it's gone, right? So um, I do feel like that's kind of a theme throughout the movie is like, are you going to grow up at some point? Are you going to move past like all of your obsessions and, you know, be a respectable person? They move to London, go into leisure industry. There were some great comedic moments. Like, again, the whole Ziggy Pop. Now I'm just going to call him Ziggy Pop. 
And then um, that scene with the rifle, like the BB gun in the park. And then also when he said that, like, it's my pleasure to give other people leisure, like in the job interview was really great. <laughs> the job interview scene is so good. <laughs> it's so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. It's so great. Spud is a great character. Another fun fact about the guy who plays Spud, whose name is also Ewan, uh, he played Ewan's character Renton in like the London production of Train Spotting. This was on stage for a while, and so I guess he played the lead. And then when they got around to making the movie, they're like, "Actually, we see you as Spud, and we've always seen you as Renton, so you're gonna have to deal with this." <laughs> well, that's a little insulting. But he's so good at Spud, like it kind of couldn't work any other way. Like he really, for all of the like poop flinging, he's really good in that role. Yeah, no, he's really great. I think, I think, sorry, I think the casting um, was really amazing in that respect. Apart from Ewan McGregor, could have had ten more pounds. I mean, I disagree strongly. That statement. <laughs> Push him over with a feather. Put a tank top on that. I also recognized um, Begbie and Tommy like in the film. I knew I knew them, but I couldn't really place them. So it wasn't until later and I looked it up and I was like, oh, my God, how did I not know that? But I recognized Kelly McDonald's like instantly. And I'm so surprised that she hasn't blown up more. Like you said, Ewan McGregor like took off. Danny Boyle took off. But then like Kelly McDonald is a total gem. And I feel like she hasn't gotten nearly enough work in the U.S. What else has she been that you recognize her from? Because I know I recognize her in other things, too, and I can't place it now. She was in Boardwalk Empire um, across from she, – she played, like, the love interest of Steve Buscemi. And then um, she was the voice in Brave. And then also she played um, a character in Harry Potter. Those are the things that I know her from. But, like, I know she's done a lot of other really great stuff, too. I just haven't seen it. I, I went to Edinburgh in like the mid 2000s. Uh, and I've so I've been to a Scottish club. And I think I expected like, I'm gonna walk in and it's just gonna be it's gonna be like the same music. And it's gonna be like the milk bar from Clockwork Orange on the walls. And like, everybody's gonna be doing heroin. It wasn't really like that, just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> it was much less heroiny than I expected. Still fun. They played Grievous in the Heart for me. And I never really felt like such a good dancer as I did around Scottish people <laughs> who were, you know, really, they were not doing it. <laughs> Shade. I, for, I forget where they, where I read this. I, um, I read somewhere that they mentioned that the 70s songs that are featured on the soundtrack are all there because they all have to do with drugs and not and they, there's no relation to the fact that, you know, Lou Reed and Iggy Pop and Brian Eno are just great artists that all make sense on the soundtrack. I think that makes sense. I mean, Iggy really is the North Star for this movie, right? Because nightclubbing is in this movie, too. Um, in, like, a really pivotal moment when things are getting dark, right? And that is kind of, like, the whole trajectory. That's the whole story of Iggy Pop is horrible heroin addict gets pulled out of it by David Bowie. <laughs> like there is definitely that element. I don't know if you could say that about Eno. I don't know what Eno was doing drug wise. 
Yeah, I don't think of like heavy drug use when I think of Eno. Like, I'm sure he did some stuff, but. No, I think of like heavy uh, eyeliner use. I don't necessarily think of <laughs> Addictions come in all forms. <laughs> Maybe he was just more low key about it. There is. Like, I know Velvet Underground has a song called Heroin. <laughs> a little on the nose. Just a little. But that's not it. But it's Perfect Day by Lee Reed. It's not Velvet Underground. I don't know. I just thought it was weird for them to be like, oh, yeah, these are 70 songs on the soundtrack because they all have to do with drugs and not like, oh, Iggy Pop is just kind of... I mean, Iggy Pop is perfect for this movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like, other than it, other than if you were to make a, you know, biopic about him. <laughs> Right. Well, if you ever want to do Velvet Goldmine as an episode, <laughs> that's about the closest movie you're going to get to a biopic of um, Iggy and Bowie. But I digress. And is it biopic or is it biopic or biopic? is it biopic? Biopic. I, I thought it was biopic. I thought it was. It's biopic, probably. This is like the Capri Sun question. Is it Capri Sun? Is it Capri Sun? It's definitely Capri Sun. I think I called it Capri Sun from most Yeah, of my I don't remember I don't remember a Capri Sun controversy. <laughs> this is a me problem, isn't it? This is what I'm starting to understand. Oh, it's like that controversy about the Capri Sun, right guys? <laughs> nope. I was trying to slip that in there like it's like it's a real thing. Shut down so fast. <laughs> I really thought that you guys were gonna back me up. I should know better. It looks like Danny Boyle did the music video for Lust for Life, too. What? Looks like it. Not, not, probably not when the song was originally released. It's a, uh, no, it says 1996. I think maybe it was like for like a promo for Train Spotting. I will have to watch that when this is over because I want to know what that is. <laughs> they might have like actually like pulled scenes from the movie, maybe. To make part of that music video. I don't know. I haven't seen it. I just noticed that that was on the list. Uh, we recently did an episode for the podcast of Oh Brother Where Art Thou? <laughs> and that movie is really hard to describe to someone who's never seen the movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. I can see that. It's like, here's this movie set in the Great Depression that's kind of about the Odyssey. But... They also write a song that gets popular and George Clooney is obsessed with his pomade. No. There's like a lot of prerequisite knowledge. It's like you got to come as like an English major and (laughs) you have to already be in to win with the Coen brothers and all their shit. There's a Ku Klux Klan rally. That's hilarious. I mean, it's kind of the same with train spotting right now where like I'm trying to describe elements of this movie without making myself sound like a person with the most fucked up priorities. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like oh. it's like oh it's such a good scene when he's uh, dying of that overdose on the screen. Yeah, like it's not a movie that necessarily glorifies heroin, 
though there's a lot of really cool scenes that have to do with heroin. Right. Oh, no, I definitely feel like my strong vibes were those like really over melodramatic movies that they make you watch in high school to scare you straight off of like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's straight up what this movie felt like was like every five minutes, reason number 457 to not do drugs. <laughs> I mean, someone does die of AIDS and there is like a neglected and then dead baby. So I would also that- reach into a toilet for your suppositories because you're that desperate. Totally. Yeah. Uh-huh. Lots of reasons. Yeah, ultimately it falls down on the side of maybe don't do this. <laughs> you know, that's- I think it falls strongly on the side of don't do drugs. <laughs> I'm still trying to process the fact that Brandis went to in high school that outlawed rock and roll. <laughs> What's that footloose high school? Oh, yeah. We didn't watch Footloose because we thought it was real life. <laughs> I mean, you are from Texas. I am not. <laughs> she I am her. from here. I, here is California, but I lived in Texas. Clear distinction. It's a bit, right. It's very clear. Right. You went to high school in Texas. I went to high school in Texas. Dancing wasn't exactly outlawed. Rock and roll wasn't exactly outlawed, but it might as well have been. It was strongly discouraged. Very strongly discouraged. Uh, We did not have a health class because that would be going into too many gruesome details. So movies like this were our scared straight, like the only education we got on like drugs, safe sex, et cetera, et cetera. And safe sex was don't do sex. I'd love to go to the Texas high school that shows train spotting as part of its health program. (laughs) Well, they would have had to bleep out like 98% of the words, but... (laughs) Yeah, I think because I went to school in California, I feel like I got like a dare t-shirt that you cut off into a midriff tee and then <laughs> afterwards watch train spotting. <laughs> yeah. And like lit up in the park. <laughs> That's the trajectory. I think too, why it reminded me of that. The park, the park across the street from the Nixon library. <laughs> yeah. Cause I remember Melinda. So like, I'm trying to make myself sound like I'm all edgy, but really I'm, I'm like, <laughs> the most conservative, most suburban corner <laughs> of Orange County, which is almost Texas, if you really think about it. Um, I was also reading like an article about the color theory that like went into train spotting too, which like I said, I noticed the cinematography immediately and I noticed that a lot of work went into the color grading. Um, but I didn't really think so much about like the color theory until afterwards with like all of the like really bad, like depressing, like hardcore drug scenes were all in red. And then, um, like, all of the safe heartwarming scenes were in green. And then, like, the transition in between scenes were in blue. I didn't catch that while watching. Um, I was paying attention to a lot of other stuff, including the music. But I appreciate, like, color theory that goes into movies. And I think there was a lot of detail that went into the So, so, so Brandis, are there any songs on the soundtrack that you ended up... Um, are there any songs on the soundtrack that you like, that you discovered through yeah, this movie? All of them. Um, I actually really enjoy Britpop. It's not necessarily something I listen to like all the time by any means, but I loved all those songs. Um, I have absolutely no complaints with the soundtrack or any of the songs on the movie. I think we wish to have just given you the soundtrack <laughs> and then had you fill in the blanks. Like, what do you think is happening when this song is playing? But- That's also a great idea as you listen to the soundtrack like in order. And then you have to describe what you think is happening during the songs. Like, I'm pretty confident that if you made a guess and then we showed you the scene, you would be very wrong and very surprised. 
Oh, absolutely. I never would have guessed a guy climbing into his own diarrhea to get his own suppositories, obviously. <laughs> Who would? That's going to be the Brian Eno song for sure. Right? That's totally going to be the Brian Eno song when that's happening. <laughs> I think that's why I love it so much. It is, it's wildly inventive. Like It was very, very inventive for its time. And I think it, I think it holds up in terms of the creative choices that are made. Even if they gross you out, they're still pretty great. Yeah, no, it totally holds up. Like in no way does it feel like outdated or like um, it's been surpassed currently. Um, I think it definitely like stands the test of time for sure. Um, so did either of you guys listen to the second train spotting soundtrack? Not for the second movie, but they ended up releasing two volumes of the train spotting soundtrack in 96 and 97. Well, somewhere in this collection of vinyl I have, I have that version of it and i am struggling to remember everything that's on it you have a track list though wait do you have both versions on vinyl or just the second version it's entirely possible that i have multiple versions but i don't know right now because uh my husband is kind of the he's kind of the keeper of uh the discogs and the lists of things that we have and i just like ask for stuff like i'm at the library <laughs> do you have a card is there like a checkout system yeah there's like a punch card and i'm like hey i like to check out the train spotting uh reissue please yeah <laughs> and he's like you haven't returned your last three vinyls yeah. why should i give you this one right now surprise he's like can you turn in the ones that are already in a stack over there okay yeah so that's how it works so i'm not totally sure but i would love to know more about this it has um it has the passenger by iggy pop yes it's got golden years by bowie nightclubbing baby doc remix <laughs> it's got some joy division <laughs> do any of these <laughs> ring a bell i know you know the iggy pop and yeah. david bowie songs on their bell. own i'm laughing at the uh what was it baby socks Baby Doc. Baby, I don't feel like babies should be anywhere near this. <laughs> I'm just reading the track listing. It has a um, artist called PF Project featuring Ewan McGregor, and the title is Choose Life, which I assume is just like the monologue remix. It is, yeah. I remember this now, and that, yes, you are exactly right it's you and mcgregor the pf chang's remix or whatever it's just the monologue the pf chang's remix <laughs> what did you say PF what pf project same thing it's totally the same thing <laughs> she's like yeah so this the soundtrack came out on capitol records and around this time they were a big fan of doing these like second volumes of successful soundtracks they also did it with romeo and juliet mm. I do appreciate this expanded uh, secondary soundtrack, which I'm, I'm now like vaguely recollecting. Cause I don't think any of those songs are anywhere near the actual film soundtrack. They're just like yeah. That. I think they're like the songs that were like cut from the movie, or songs that Danny Boyle was like listening to while filming the movie. I mean, it's just kind of a stretch, right? Because. There's a lot of adjacent music that isn't, it kind of like violates the whole pact of like a soundtrack, right? Like a soundtrack is supposed to, what, I don't know, correlate to scenes from the movie and then like bring you back to things that you liked about the film. It's supposed to follow like that logic. So I always find these like bonus soundtracks kind of weird because they can be anything. Like they're not related to the movie in that way. 
or the soundtracks that say that songs from and inspired by the movie inspired by that's what it is i'm like picturing that on a cd jewel case right now (laughs) it's basically just like more of the same uh playlist if you liked this you're gonna love this like i'm a big fan of the black panther soundtrack but i believe like four songs out of like 15 are actually in the movie (laughs) right Right. well because most movies like I don't want to say most movies but I think a lot of movies that are more mainstream or like blockbuster movies they've got like a couple of core tracks and then a bunch of things that are filled in mm-hmm. or like mostly original score and then there's like a few songs in there and then they're like oh let's do a soundtrack oh wait it was a lot of original scores now we have to like beef it up a little bit we got to pad this so that people will actually buy it mm, I guess yeah that used to be a thing. I don't, I mean, nobody buys music anymore. So I don't know the logic now. <laughs> I, I think soundtracks are kind of starting to come back with like the success of like Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes sense. Or in the form of literally a mixtape, since, you know, cassette tapes had their moment again. See, I feel like the best they're coming back is, like they're mixtapes. Right. And so Guardians of the Galaxy took that literally. But like mm-hmm. to me has always been like, that's a really good mixtape. Like you can listen to that soundtrack independent of seeing the movie and you'll be pretty happy with that playthrough. Like it's so and in Brandis's case, she would be much happier. <laughs> if that was yes. <laughs> Much happier. <laughs> on just the soundtrack i would have been like oh my god i'm gonna love this movie i love this soundtrack it can only be good things i wonder if you had listened to the soundtrack extensively beforehand if you would feel differently about the movie or if the movie would be even more disappointing by comparison i think it'd be more disappointing i think i would feel like even more like uh misled and more of a bait and switch because like i said those first few moments like with that monologue in the opening scene i was definitely feeling fight club vibes and then it took a hard left into Requiem for a Dream, but not Requiem for a Dream. From Fight Club to Night Club. <laughs> From Fight Club yeah. to Requiem for a Dream with Diarrhea. <laughs> Requiem for a Diarrhea. <laughs> yeah, so I think if I had like enjoyed the soundtrack um, thoroughly for quite some time before watching the film, I would be, I would feel very betrayed. Betrayed. language (laughs) oh god Uh, Nicole is seething (laughs) she's so angry I know I'm telling you like I told Brandis via text I'm like I guess this is the payback for pentatonics I think we're finally full circle (laughs) again for the record that was an accident Uh, okay, right. I was subjecting myself to acapella as well. Oh, I remember that. Nick, I don't know why you texted me, but <laughs> Nicole texted me. Hey, I'm with Brandis and Debbie, and it's Fourth of July fireworks at the bowl. And then I think in all caps, I replied, "Are you watching Pentatonics?" And then she was like, "God damn it! How did you know?" <laughs> want to say for, to clear this up once and for all i really thought pentatonics was going to perform the national anthem and then <laughs> be on and then we'd see fireworks and that would be the night but no pentatonics came out and butchered a full set of songs that i like 
Like they were out there butchering like Queen songs, butchering everything. I think I blocked it out. I think I blocked most of it out. Like Brandis is going to block out most of Trainspotting. I had no idea that they were performing. I didn't read past Hollywood Bowl and Fireworks. And I was like, sign me up. I had no idea that there was going to be acapella. And I apologize sincerely. I mean, it was, it wasn't just acapella, it was extended acapella. And it was acapella surrounded by like a bunch of high school thespian drama kids that were so into it. Like, and Debbie. <laughs> and Debbie and our friend Debbie. We were, so we were just flanked by people that are like, this is great. Yes, that was, that was rough. Tonic's <laughs> t-shirt. Like, I, I, love I didn't, I did not know she was a fan. We did not either. Yeah, there was new, new, new information. I think we would have reconsidered some things. <laughs> well, that's why Debbie's not on the podcast. <laughs> Kidding. We love Debbie, even if she likes acapella. We accept all types. I'm staying silent. <laughs> I was like, well, that's an awkward silence. How do I fill this? <laughs> well, I'm glad we finally got that out there. Feels good. And then I guess I should follow with the obligatory. You guys made it to Pentatonix, but you guys couldn't make it to Nile Rogers. <laughs> we did not know that they were going to be performing until they were already on stage and it was too late to leave. It was a very rough night. We've blocked it out. It's done. It's in the past. <laughs> well, we finally got to have our Pentatonix intervention. <laughs> water under the bridge over troubled water, which I'm pretty sure they also ruined that night. <laughs> uh well thank you nicole and brandis for coming back to the podcast thanks ryan this was fun and i'm not as offended by uh scenes that have a lot of crap in them so i had a good time <laughs> i had an excellent time as well no one's got anything to plug here but uh check out the soundtrack your life website if you guys want to listen to playlists related to the podcast since the train spotting album i believe is no longer purchasable anywhere or streamable but thanks for listening leave a review and we will see you in 2021 thanks for joining us this week on soundtrack your life make sure to visit our website soundtrackyourlife.net where you can subscribe to the show on apple Podcasts or spotify while you're at it if you found value in the show we'd appreciate a rating or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show that would help us out too